Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Home to all the jaw-dropping moments. Home to all the best plays in the league. Home to your favorite players from the cities you love. MLB.tv is the home of streaming baseball. Home or away, catch all the MLB action this season with live and on-demand content across all your devices. Enjoy MLB Big Inning, select pregame and postgame coverage, and an expanded library of highlights and content. Never miss a moment of the action with MLB.tv. Stream every game from every team all season long with MLB.tv. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bradford Files. I'm Rob Bradford. I'm alongside Alex Spear, the genius of WEI.com, all things including baseball coverage. And today he's going to be giving some, him a little sample of his genius by debating on the Red Sox lineup. We're going to go through one through nine, spending more time in some slots than others. But we will talk about the construct of the lineup, which I think is one of the more interesting unsettled portions of this team as we sit here a few weeks out from opening day. So obviously we're going to not be too unconventional about this and we'll start at the number one slot. Alex, welcome, first of all. Well, thanks. I'm, I'm a little bit taken aback by this whole proclamation of genius. To my mind, genius would be if we could replicate Rob Bradford several times over and have the entire WEEI.com lineup be Nothing but Rob Bradford and copies of Rod Bradford. Then you would have nine very unhealthy human beings. <laughs> um, we would need a bench of more <laughs> Rob Bradfords. <laughs> so getting getting back on track here, leadoff spot for the Boston Red Sox. In your mind, who should it be? All right. So we know that the Red Sox ultimately want that to be Jacoby Ellsbury's job. I think that Terry Francona has said that enough times. You know, we've heard the whole... Our lineup is best when Jacoby Ellsbury is our leadoff hitter. Now, so I, I think the question is whether or not uh, is when it's Jacoby Ellsbury's job and who would be keeping it warm for him until he's ready for it, which are two separate questions. Um, so in an ideal scenario for them, I think that they see Ellsbury come out of spring training. But let's operate on the assumption that after he missed almost a full year that they want him uh, to start the year perhaps protected lower down in the order. And so then the question is, who do you want as your backup leadoff guy? And, you know, they, they have a lot of guys. Their their most important trait is an ability to get on base and to run up pitch counts for that leadoff spot. Um, honestly, because I think they want to minimize lineup disruption once Ellsbury does return, uh, my guess is that they would, uh, is that they would have uh, either J.D. Drew or perhaps Marco Scudero back in that role as the leadoff hitter. And personally, I like Scudero the most in that role because he's someone who embraces it. And frankly, aside from Ellsbury, everyone else on the Red Sox runs from it like it's kryptonite or something. 
Yeah, I think that's definitely the case with J.D. Drew. I know there has been some school of thought that that would be the number two guy in line, but it's hard to get by two things with J.D. Drew. Number one, that he hates doing it. J.D. Drew doesn't hate a lot of things, but he hates leading off. Would it drive him into retirement if he was uh, <laughs> that, if he was asked to hit lead off? That might ease him right in. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing is that he's not good at it. You you look at the small sample size of I think it was 14 games a couple of years ago. But you you have a guy whose numbers batting average dip below 200 and on base percentage dip below 300 and and he he's just not good of it. You look at all the numbers throughout the course of his career. And I know that they want the on-base percentage. I know they want him seeing – they have a guy there seeing a lot of pitches. But this, to your point, Marco Scudo is also a guy who likes – doesn't mind getting in two strike counts. Um, he 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 did okay last year when hitting off. He had done it a, the year and a half prior and, and really re-energized his career by doing it in Toronto. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't have a problem at all. My plan B also would be what would be Marco Scudo. I am of the mind that I know that Jacoby Ellsbury hasn't played a lot over the last year, but still I have no problem with putting him back in that leadoff spot and saying, okay, you know what, go get him. Now, if you get a month in and you still have the same sort of problems that you had when he was struggling, you go back a couple years ago where they took him out at the end of May. They took him out of the leadoff spot. He wasn't happy about it, but he was his on-base percentage against lefties in particular, I think was in the mid-200s. He was clear. At that time, yeah, because that, he's been pretty good, right. pretty good against well, both righties Well, that's my point. Is yeah. that, so at the time they took him out, he wasn't happy about it. He, he got his stuff together at the bottom of the lineup. They put him back in, and since that point, he's been pretty good in that leadoff spot. I know that, I'll go back to it. I know that he hasn't played, but still, the fact is, is that he's a good player. He's been good at that leadoff spot before, and I would just see how it goes early on in April. Well, I think that, you know, I, I think that in many respects, Ellsbury and Scudero should be viewed as interchangeable. Uh, they, they're easily swapped at the top and bottom of the order uh, in that beginning part of the year. So you determine whether or not Ellsbury is ready. If he is, great. He's your leadoff guy, obviously. If not, then, you know, then he ends up being your bottom of the order guy and Scudero ends up being top. I think that um, one of the interesting considerations is the dynamic that Scudero, not the fleetest of foot, would play in uh, in the running game. You know, if he's up at the top of the order where you'd also have, you know, certainly a Crawford and probably Pedroia, uh, both guys who like to run, would would Scudero simply get in the way of those guys? I mean, that's part of the reason why it's so cool, more or less, to have, you know, guys like Ellsbury and, and Crawford fairly close to one another in the lineup because they can just run like crazy. Well, let's back up for a second. Do you rule out completely the idea of Crawford as your leadoff hitter? I think so. I, I think so just because we go back to where he wants to hit and where he has hit primarily in the last few years. And I know he's done some leadoff work, but I don't think that's his preference. I, I, as much as he said this spring that he's not changing the way he's going to approach the game no matter where he's hitting, that's including th- hitting third or hitting fifth or whatever – um, that he's still going to be a guy who runs. He he's the second leading, still active stolen base guy in the major leagues right now. That's Who's number one? Well, that, you know what? Did I tell you this? Uh, no, clearly no, it's, not. It's actually a very very good trivia question. I thought you were just setting me up or something. I'm not that good. No. I'm not, I don't have the genius of the of the replicated Rob Bradford. Uh, uh, number one is Juan Pierre. 
Go figure. Uh, uh, he stole like 70 bags last year 62, for the White Sox. And amazingly, this is a little off topic, but amazingly, he has played an, an exorbitant number of games. I mean, he had a stretch there where he played three straight seasons of, hundred, I think, 162 games. Yeah. I think he played 161 last year. You know what it is? It's that it's the batting helmet over the baseball cap. It, well, it's the double flap. That I know that got through the Essex Blue Jays. I that kept me in the lineup for years. <laughs> so the little league. I used to rock that in imitating like Eddie Murray's batting stance, which I couldn't do well at all as a from either side of the plate. It also offers a much better target if you want to get hit in the head. Because <laughs> cushions ri- the blow though. <laughs> yeah, I bet that none of those guys have ever gotten concussions. <laughs> Not only cushions the blow, but it raises is the target of approximately five inches. So there you so, go. So those Lansing those pitches would go Lansing right blow. over your head. Now you're at first base. But so I think that Crawford. I, I I don't think that's a preference of his. You said it before. The leadoff spot sends most of these guys running for the hills. It's weird, right? Yeah. Like Dustin Pedroia was terrible in the leadoff role a couple of years ago. He was a sub 300 OBP guy when he was shifted in for Ellsbury in what was it 2008? I think. Yeah, and, and and the funny thing was maybe even 09. The, the funny thing with Pedroia is that he's one of these guys who, if you you catch him in a moment of honesty, he admits to approach approaching the different spots in, in the order differently than normal. He normally would, and he'll say, "Oh yeah, I, I was approaching it different." At the time, he might not, but at leadoff, certainly, I think he was when he was hitting third. I think he he didn't do very well there at all when he was put back in that spot it's he thought okay i have to be a run producer change his game a little bit so i guess this could lead us to the number two spot unless you have something else to say about the lead just off. that it's funny because euclid was pretty good at it and it looked like he wasn't changing his approach but he hates it he yeah. just you know he said that he'd bet he'd rather bet ninth than lead off at this point in his i career. will say this and this is one of the reasons why i think people were going down the jd drew road um, Terry Francona said early on in the spring, he said, if you ask me which I would prefer, the leadoff guy, I'd rather be on base percentage than stolen bases. So, Which would be an argument for having Drew there over Ellsbury anyway. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the I think the hope is you have the combination of both. While Ellsbury isn't the Drew type on base guy, he he's done enough. He showed enough. I mean, he hit... In 2009, he hit 300 in a leadoff spot. I know it's not on base percentage, but his on base, I think, it was around 340. And in the second half, you know, he started getting hot that year in late May. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, I think that his OBP was closer to, you know, 360, something like that. If they can get some, if they can get that out of out of Ellsbury with, you know, the potential havoc that he can wreak, you know, that he can produce on the bases, then. That's a, that's a pretty strong leadoff presence. Well, and, and for the, the interest of time and also to kind of morph into what you said before about the excitement of of potentially seeing a guy like Ellsbury and Crawford, why don't we talk about the two and three spots together here? And Because I think that um, – because the two spot is pretty locked down. I think that the, the preference there is Ellsbury. I mean, I'm sorry, it's Pedroia. There's something to be said for having a guy who's been in that spot behind a guy who stole, stole 70 bases, who knows how to approach those at-bats, who knows how to approach a guy in front of him who's going to steal a lot of bases and has done so with great success. So unless you think otherwise, Pedroia is a number two guy. I, I think so, although uh, I, I was trying to remember at the end of his season last year, meaning – Let's not even count that two-game comeback. But when he when he was on fire uh, in June of last year, 
Was he batting number three for part of that? Uh, we can effort that information, but I, I, I know if, if memory serves me correct, I think that when he did bat number three, the last time they put him there, it they did not was not met with a whole lot of success. Mm. Um, but, but but I I agree with the theory generally. I I do think that Pedroia is uh, is a very solid. You know, obviously he's he understands that role. He's able to take the pitches. He's able to give the guy who's in front of him a chance to run. He's clearly very comfortable there. Uh, I, I guess that there is a question about whether or not it would make more sense, whether or not that would be a, a natural role for Crawford or not. But because they want to minimize the number of pieces that they have moving throughout the year, um, when you have when you have Ellsbury, and again, it's a when, not an if, mm-hmm. for Ellsbury, you probably don't want to have those two left-handers stacked at the top of the lineup either. So, you know, you have the hypothetical of Ellsbury, then Pedroia, and then someone else uh, in the number three spot. So... Um, that that's how I, I I agree entirely. Pedroia has been so good in that number two spot uh, and plays the role so well that I, I think that that's that's the right play for him personally. Uh, just as a point of reference, he he hit number three seven times in 2010. He did hit three home runs. He hit 250. And maybe all in one game. Yeah, I well, that I mean that that might be very well the case. Um, but yeah, this it, it's the, the 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 number one spot is an interesting argument. The number two spot is, as we not said an before, not, not really an interesting argument. It's, it's I'm sorry for boring you, Rob. It's really this dynamic of when we get into three and four and five that it becomes an argument which I don't think has been the type of which the Red Sox haven't been able to make ever. Yeah. Where you have, you have you, you've had good hitters in the past in those spots, but you're talking about not only three all-stars, but three elite all-stars. And we know the difference. And between. with different skill sets. Exactly. Because, you know, because Crawford is just a very, you know, you think of three, four, five hitters. Gonzalez and Euclid are both obvious, you know, three, four, five hitters. But Crawford is a weird, is is a weirder puzzle piece there. Okay. With that said, who's your three, four, five? Name your, not what they're going to do, your three, four, five. Well, in the context of what we were talking about earlier, yeah. If if if, if Ellsbury, it's, let's say it's Ellsbury Pedroia, yeah. Then I have Crawford followed by Euclid, followed by Gonzalez to split up the lefties uh, with the to have the the lefties sandwiched around the righty. And because Crawford gets a little bit closer to Ellsbury, so that you can do some different things with base running and stuff uh, that might be a little bit more dynamic. And let's not forget that Pedroia is a pretty damn good base stealer too yeah he was on pace to be a 2020 guy last year before he had that uh, that foot injury although that'll be interesting to see how much running Pedroia does this year as he recovers from the broken foot you well, wonder whether or not well don't forget you know even when the book the foot was at its worst he he went out and stole a base now that was almost a, declared that stupid afterwards yeah, but, so but he that might was, be seeing a few more yeah, red lights yes, than well he did you know before. maybe that wised him up in some respects but that was almost to say i'm pissing on my territory here and yeah. screw you all who think that my foot isn't healed i'm gonna run on run run and run at will and, and all those who thought that his foot wasn't completely healed <laughs> yeah, turned yeah, out yeah, to be right yes yeah so uh, then if i if if memory serves me right wasn't there a wild throw he took third or he took yeah, third. he ended up he ended up having to hop up and go to third. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah and then by the time then, he got to third, and he then was he wasn't like, hopping this, this up anytime soon after that. No, but I wouldn't disagree. It's just what what's amazing, or if as Alex Spear would say, the was, table. was 
effing amazing about this. What would I profane <laughs> with a ten month old son? Is, <laughs> if fourteen months old, he might be profaning. I would be so proud. <laughs> we've been trying to get we've been trying to get him to lob f bombs as like before he says mama, which is just like another four letter word. But you know, that's cool. Um, you can do it. But Max. you have aging Gonzalez, arguably. The uh, one of the top three hitters in baseball. Argu- let's say arguably one of the top three hitters in baseball. I would I would broaden it to five or ten, but yeah, I mean certainly very 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 high on the list. I guess uh, some of that some of that is off projection. Yeah, because we can say well right now he isn't, but he would have been if he wasn't playing in that park. But certainly a a, tw- a lit- in this world of baseball that we live in, a legit twenty million dollar a year guy. Yeah, which there aren't a lot of guys in. Just like Carl Crawford's probably not a legit eighteen well, not million. Not the prototypical no, I, twenty yeah. million dollar a year guy. But there's put it this way: there's a, only a few guys that you could legitimize paying twenty million dollars a year for in this the market as it is, and he is one of them. And that's saying something for the player that he is. Right? Yeah, unquestionably. I mean, Adrian Gonzalez is well. The thing that I've been curious about recently is whether or not we've constructed this idea of Adrian Gonzalez that is completely divorced from the reality of him because I don't know about you. I haven't seen that much of him play. I haven't seen any of him this spring. I think he's going to be great because that's what we keep hearing. And that's what everyone, you know, teammates, you know, executives, etc., who have seen him say he's going to be great in Boston. And I believe that. I just don't know whether or not the way in which we're setting him up is realistic <laughs> because I think that, you know, wasn't someone, I think John Crock or someone like threw out that he was going to hit 50 bombs and 50 doubles, oh, which yes. has been done like once in history. Yes. So uh, think, I, I just think John Crock knew that. I think that he crunched the stats. Yeah. I think <laughs> that he probably went through baseball references PI tool before he made that projection. No, but I just, you know, I, I, so I'm with you. I think that he's probably going to be effing amazing, <laughs> but uh, I do wonder, you know, I, I do wonder how, you know, how lofty a pedestal he deserves. For instance, whether or not he's going to be a bigger impact player than Euclid, who, uh, who, as you know, I, I think that he's been an extraordinary performer over the last three years, and he belongs in that conversation of the top three or so, three or five hitters in the major leagues over that period, to my mind. Um but anyway, I do think that they're both great, and so it is fascinating that you might have you might have arguably one of the best five hitters in the major leagues batting fifth batting in a, fifth, batting, which in a is, batting order, which is the which is the Rob Deere spot. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 your it's you know typically it's the hitter who's not as good as a cleanup hitter, but with maybe just as much power. Um, yeah, I don't know. They come in all different shapes and sizes, but clearly the the fifth hitter isn't viewed a guy as, who strikes out some, yeah, you know, it, and who's it, like more boom or bust. It, like Ortiz a couple of years ago in two thousand nine played himself into being the number five hitter because he was hitting. You know, by the end he was hitting a ton of bombs, but the on base wasn't what it had usually been. You usually don't find guys with these no, kinds well, of skill sets. Who would be five. hitting number five there? It would be David Ortiz and. People would say David Ortiz, as he is now, is probably a, a number five hitter, yeah. right? And but I don't think Crawford's the wild card here. Crawford is because we know that he's not a prototypical number three hitter. He's really not a prototypical any spot in the order type of hitter. But wow, he's like the Matrix. He's he all Sean Matri- Marion on us. <laughs> I smell the T-shirts being printed up right now. Awesome. Um, yeah, so it's cooler than CC. I mean, come on, man, that's taken uh, in the AL East. Well, yeah, it's. Is it, who calls him CC? Everyone calls him CC now. Oh, I don't. 
<laughs> the Bradford boycott uh, the Brad- is in effect, Brad- holding out for the Matrix. <laughs> the Matrix. I, I, I like the Matrix, and I bet he would like the Matrix a lot better too. But we'll discuss. It's, yes, yes. So it's you have such a good hitter in Euclid. I mean, Euclid is kind of the guy that is able to make this whole thing happen because if you look at Ellsbury, Bedroya, um, Crawford. You have a guy in Euclid who's not only a good hitter, but a smart hitter who can probably adjust a little bit to what's going on. He's just not the type of cleanup hitter who's going to go up there and say, you know what, I'm going to hit, try to hit a home run or nothing at all. He's in all around. He's never trying to hit a home run. No, no, right. exactly. But he's he's the type of guy that is going to be able to, to do a lot of different things out of that cleanup spot. And one of the other things that we don't know yet about Adrian Gonzalez is his comfort level hitting late in the count. Whether or not he's a kind of more of an attack guy early in the counts, Euclid is someone who is perfectly content to put up outrageous numbers on two strike counts. Which, if you have Crawford in the number three hole and he's on base, that's a big asset uh, to the with the guy who's hitting behind. Well, you him. know what's also interesting to bring this up: the we talk about Ellsbury being eased into that leadoff spot. Well, there's an element of of being eased into something in regards to Adrian Gonzalez in the American League East, the American League as a whole, the the shoulder situation. He's going to have – he estimated he was going to have about 10 games – to play as it looks now, he might have a little bit more than that before the start of the regular season. But there's nothing wrong with with saying to this guy, as much as hitting fifth is easing into something, it's, hey, okay, you know what? You're right there. The other guys are ready to go. You can be the number five guy, and and uh, and you know I looked at the the numbers he had in April and, and May of last year, and they were good numbers. He hit two eighty eight, six home runs in April, two fifty two with three home runs in May. So you know you're coming out of the first two months, and you have two seventy with nine home runs. I guess my question is two seventy nine home runs. You talk about the expectations. Is that Hey, you know what? We we are getting the Adrian Gonzalez we thought, or we're not getting the Adrian Gonzalez we thought, because it should be noted that the following month in June he hit three sixty three with seven home runs, and I think everyone expects him to do that every single month of the season. Uh, that would be a baseline projection, I think. Yeah, I think yeah. that people will be will be happy when he makes Ted when he when he hits so well that Ted Williams' number is unretired. <laughs> yes, yes. There you go. I mean, fellow San Diegan, let's not forget that. <laughs> San Diego. Anyway, but I think that, you know, I, I do think that there's a there's an element of, yeah, you know, let the guy get his legs, uh, so to speak. Let him get his shoulder, so to speak, in the number five spot. Maybe save him an at-bat a week, maybe two at-bats every week. Uh, so a little less strain on that shoulder, I guess, uh, as, he, uh, as he fully recovers. But, yeah, I, I think that... Yeah, I, I I like I think that we know that Terry Francona loves to split up lefties and righties as much as possible. So I do think that having Euclid in the middle of of Crawford and Gonzalez makes a ton of sense. But what but. it does it leads us to the next portion of the lineup, which is what you do after Gonzalez if you do put Gonzalez at number five. And it's going to be probably no matter what they do. You would think that Euclid would stay at number four, and they would shift Crawford or Gonzalez three five. Um, it looks like Gonzalez right five right now, but then you have to get in. You don't want to or hit Ortiz too low. I mean, Ortiz seems like okay. He he's at number six. It's a safe place for him. But you have you talking and that's about- a position where you can put up monster numbers. Oh, there's no. You qu- remember the a couple of years ago, Jason Bay. You know when he had his outrageous start to the uh, to the 2009 season, he was he was doing most of that damage in the number six slot in the first couple months of the year and. 
was just and he just after a while I looked up and said, "Oh my God, yeah. that's such a sweet spot in this lineup." Well, and so this gets into the lefty righty thing, yeah. and and we know Francona likes to go lefty righty, but it's going to be unavoidable to to lump in some lefties in a row here. So you're going to have Ortiz. The assumption is Ortiz is going to be number six. So you already have. In our scenario, Adrian Gonzalez, lefty, or David Ortiz, lefty. And let's not forget Crawford in the number three spot. So you'd only have Euclid in that four-batter run. So you could bring in a just devastating like left-on-left guy, kind of pitch carefully to Euclid in the number four spot. But you'd have Crawford followed by Euclid, followed by uh, followed by Gonzalez, followed by Ortiz. Right. And, and then, okay, then you have, after the Ortiz, you have the choice of the right fielder, J.D. Drew. Or and we know that JD's probably going to be hit for more often or more times than in the past because you have a healthy Mike Cameron yep. on the bench and and potentially Darnell McDonald. Um, but okay, you have. Do you want to hit JD Drew another lefty? Is this contingent on Jared Saltalamaki's progress? Because if Jared Saltalamaki comes out and starts hitting right out of the gate. I don't know about you, but I can certainly see them say, hey, you know what, this is a great opportunity to break things up a little bit here. Yeah, and again, I think that, you know, that by that preference of splitting guys up uh, means that means that Saul Salamaki is your, is your guy uh, in that spot. Um, you know, I just think that the switch hitting, uh, the, the switch hitting aspect of things makes it so that uh, so that you would probably want that. And of course, it, it will be interesting to see whether or not uh, whether or not they might use Veritek as a pinch hitter for him against tough lefties late in games because Saltzlamaki, at least last year and at, at times in his career, doesn't have that great of numbers against left-handed pitchers. Well, this is the thing with Saltzlamaki. He doesn't really have great numbers. Yeah, in my enough. mind, he doesn't have a sample size to say, hey, you know what, this guy is is not an offensive threat from either side of the plate, this side or that side. He just hasn't played enough. He hasn't shown enough. And and I think that's why this month is so int- interesting because if he shows anything at all, then you at least start to think about the option of utilizing exactly what you said, that switch hitting part of his game, which in my mind made the Yankees lineup so tough to pitch to last Unbelievable, year. yeah. There was just – and guys who could hit from both sides of the plate. It wasn't just that they were functionally switch hitters with a significant split – on one side and another, like it was just a nightmare to try to match up with their lineup while they had, you know, Teixeira just hitting like crazy from both sides of the plate, as well as, well, everyone else. It seemed like they had five guys who were in that lineup at times who were just, yeah, who were just murdered. See, the thing about, and, and you mentioned the, the amount of lefties you could potentially have in a row or or near each other, which is Crawford followed by Euclid, followed by Gonzalez, Ortiz, and then even Drew is that if you're ever able to separate Ortiz, and I've talked about this in the past, but if you're able, able to separate Ortiz from that other big lefty, mm-hmm. then his numbers against lefties, in my mind, goes up because you're able to get that lefty out of the game sometimes. Right. That that lefty, that lockdown lefty specialist. Um, now, I don't know if that's a possibility right now. Right now, I don't think it is because you just, you're not going to put Saltalamaki up in the number six spot. Um, you're not right. going to put Scooter up in the number six spot. You, maybe you put Mike Cameron there, but against lefties, against lefties. But uh, yeah, yeah, I can see dropping Ortiz in the lineup against lefties. I, I think that that would be a, a very legit. Well, they aren't going. They don't want to bench him against lefties. And as you've pointed out earlier this spring, he had pretty good numbers against left-handed starters. It was really the specialists and Brian Mattis yes. who uh, yeah. who made his life miserable. 
Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that you won't. Honestly, I don't think you'll see either Ortiz or uh, or Drew in the lineup against Brian Mattis anytime no, no, soon. No, it's you know, and that's the other interesting part about this lineup is in the American League East is and we've said time and time again that this that the top end of these rotations are loaded up with lefties, even though Ortiz kills Ricky Romero. So I guess you take that one out of the he'll, equation. He'll stay in the lineup against. Yeah, yeah, but you know, Sabathia, Price, uh, Mattis. Um, and and I'm sure and, and another interesting thing to look at when they start playing the Yankees is how the Yankees bullpen is constructed. It it if we look at it right now and they might break camp in a different way, but they have a lot of lefties. They have, with with reason, I think that there was right. you know there's nothing accidental about that bullpen construction. They were willing to pay you know four plus million dollars a year for Pedro Feliciano, a left on left guy for a reason. Yeah, so. So this whole theory about, okay, Ortiz might not have to face the lefty specialist might go out the window against the Yankees. But it, it, what, regardless, it's going to be a challenge. There's going to be some interesting dynamics uh, in terms of how Terry Francona constructs, not only constructs the lineup to be start the game, but how he goes through the game with it. Right, and, where you pull the cord. Like, at what point do you consider, at, in what inning? If, if the Yankees go to a Pedro Feliciano in, let's say, the – you know the the fifth inning, the sixth inning. Do you do you pinch hit for you know for Ortiz in that juncture, or more specifically, perhaps Drew at that juncture, or is that too early in the game, you know, to make that swap? That'll be interesting. Yeah, and it's it's going to be it's really going to be fascinating about just how they approach it, and and how much how further into the season it's going to be contingent on so much of it on how these guys quote-unquote bounce back or produce because the one caveat in this whole dynamic is what if Ortiz comes out of the gate and Drew comes out of the gate and all of a sudden they're hitting whatever lefties they're facing and and then so this whole method that Terry Francona might have set up in his mind why looking at this back in January and February if this happens we're going to do this you have to because these guys have gone on runs before and right they've both been well for Ortiz, it was really what up through 2007. In that run of 2004 to 2007, he was tremendous against lefties. Mm-hmm. And then in 2008, he started having significant splits. Drew actually, even Drew, uh, up until up until a few years ago, was a pretty good hitter against lefties. If you look at some of the numbers, you know, I, I realize that it's not it wasn't the same level of performances he had against righties. But there were years where he had close to an 800 OPS against left-handed pitchers. Yeah, and it, and it goes back also with Drew. Do you, that hot streak is seemingly always around the corner, and he never found it last year. We understand that. But still, that's one of the pluses of having a J.D. JD Drew on your team. And Terry Francona's very understanding of that, typically. It, it'll just be interesting of how much he weighs that in early in the season. I don't think he'll weigh it in much at all because I think that I, I think that as much as Drew is capable of hot streaks, I think that both the player and the team are comfortable giving him days off. You know, as an eye towards keeping him towards getting him into that 135, 140 games a year sweet spot. I think that's the target, and so I, I think they're very comfortable with, uh, uh, especially against uh, as long as they have available personnel uh, going with uh, giving Drew the day off in favor of Cameron. Yeah, and I think that's the other thing about it is that Mike Cameron, as we sit here right now, 
is is playing at a level or moving. We should say moving at a level because playing in spring training, we, we, we're not going to judge stats, but moving at a level where this is the, the player they envision when they sign him. And, and that can be a very effective guy, much more effective to them than anything they might be able to get in a trade in my mind. Well, here's a, here's a wild card for you. Mm. Who would you consider trading first, Cameron or Drew? Hmm. Who would they consider trading? Well, I know that they probably, in their mind, it, from the Red Sox point of view or from my point of view? Both. Well, I think the Red Sox point of view, I think they have um, a uh, – there. there's a history with Mike Cameron in Terry Francona's mind. There's a reason they signed him. There's a reason they identified him. They like him as a player when healthy. They like the way he approaches the game. Um, so I almost think that – that they probably wouldn't mind at all saying, hey, you know what, Mike Cameron's a guy. Now, the the flip side of that is that you trade Mike Cameron, you have Darnell McDonald there, and you still have the lefty hitting J.D. Drew. So for the team's construction, I think that Mike Cameron's probably the more logical guy you trade. Except if you were to trade Drew, then you would be able to call up Ryan Kalish. Yeah, but – Sure, but this is and this is all obviously hypothetical because I don't think that they're going to trade either one of these guys. I think that it's more of a mid-year question uh, about you know as the season progresses and as Kalish finishes his development in the minors, you know, and you might have you might have resources that can draw you value because I don't think you offer JD Drew or Mike Cameron salary arbitration, so you aren't going to get anything for them after the season. It's merely a question of. How do you maximize the value that you extract out of all of those people? And it also is predicated upon the idea that both Drew and Cameron are healthy, which is no sure thing either. Well, the only flaw in the Kalish argument is that is that if if you're hanging on, if you do try to trade Mike Cameron, um, or you're saying trade JD Drew, if you trade Drew in the middle if of the season, if you trade Drew, I got you, and he becomes a JD Drew role. Yeah, all right, I understand that. Yes, sure. Um, yeah, that could happen, but I agree with you. It's it's, it's it comes back to the argument we have with Papelbon, with a lot of these other guys that people say, oh well, they can trade them and they can get you know X player for. Right now, the the value is probably more for the Red Sox than it is in any sort of trade, and that might change as as you get to midseason, as you get closer to trade deadline. There's no question. As needs, yeah, teams don't feel quite the same sense of urgency in March that they do in June. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so we know. We so you have Drew at number eight, um, or Saltzalamak. You, you know, I, I split. I split it up. I, I put Drew at number eight, and I know that his his numbers have been very good at number eight. Um, I'm not basing my decision solely on that. It doesn't hurt, certainly, but I just like if Saltzalamaki can hit it all, then that's that's just a, a much better dynamic, and and also. I just like Drew there. I, I just I like him in that spot. If he gets hot, you can move him up, sure. But I I like that dynamic, and you know it, it's a, sort of the same thing with Ellsbury. People say, "Oh, how can you have Saltonomaki hitting above JD Drew? How can you have him hitting number seventh? I just see what he does in April. See how it goes. I see. I think you know. I think put less burden, offensive burden on Saltonomakia. I think that you have Mike Cameron there as a pinch hitter. I say Drew in number seven because you if if the game is on the line and there's a right-handed closer on the mound, who would you rather have up? Would it rather would you rather have Jared Saltzalamaki deciding the game or JD Drew? Well, and for my mind, you know what you mind, do if, J- if Saltzalamaki isn't hitting, you pinch hit for Jared Saltzalamaki with whom against a right-handed pitcher. Um, 
Well, Lowry? But he's, you know, his his splits are better against I understand. I mean, but, you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, even even if you don't want to go lefty righty, I I still wouldn't have a huge problem with pinch hitting, um, you know, Mike Cameron. I mean, this, I understand what you're saying. I'm just, I guess I'm throwing more caution to the wind with Jared Salto Machia. Yeah. And, and I, I did something about the production that JD drew. You talk about easing guys into things and why this might not be the most obvious example of easing something into it, but Drew has to figure some things out going this year. He has to get over this whole thing about identifying the strike zone. Uh, he has to find that run to go on. And as I said before, his most successful spot in the entire batting order has been at the number eight spot. So give it a whirl. None of this is set in stone, obviously, but it's exactly why we're talking about it right now. Bullshit. <laughs> I knew, I knew. Let's see. That was only 36 minutes in. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex Spear, for joining us on the Bradford Files. It was a healthy conversation of profanity less, uh, profanity free. Um, yeah, we'll go with profanity. Talk. Yes, it was. It was. I mean, what is uh, what is more sacred and less profane than discussions of a lineup? So, uh, <laughs> yes, we will we will call it a Bradford Files day. So, oh, I guess that means so uh, we're we're sticking with number nine is either Scudero or Ellsbury. Yeah, that's really was not lead that's, off. That's that's really not a sexy conversation. Man, that was a that was a buzzkill at the end of this, huh? <laughs> what are you talking about? This is a portrait of what the Bradford Files should be. Well, I, I suppose it's a cubist interpretation thereof. <laughs> On that note, thank you for joining us, Alex Spear. And uh, next time we will talk about the starting rotation of the Boston Red Sox. Maybe not, but it seems like the natural progression of conversation. Peace out, motherfucker. <laughs> Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nano spray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Now you can enjoy MLB Play, the one app with all your favorite free MLB games. Enjoy Beat the Streak, Quick Pick, and more. Enjoy competing against friends. Enjoy unlocking exclusive rewards. Plus, your chance to win $5.6 million. Download MLB Play. Enjoy the app. Enjoy the show. MLB Play. No purchase necessary. Must be 21 or older to enter Beat the Streak, which ends at the conclusion of the MLB regular season or when the grand prize is won. Restrictions apply. See MLB.com forward slash play for official rules. Over 1 million people have turned to Upstart for personal loans. Our online platform enables fast and easy access to the funds you need. Whether it's for credit card debt consolidation or to pay bills, you can check your rate in as little as five minutes without affecting your credit score. Loans start at $1,000 and go up to $50,000. And you may even get your funds in as fast as one business day. Go to upstart.com to check your rate. That's upstart.com. It's that easy. 
Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. 